This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM and internet streaming at www.zoomerradio.ca. And if if you've managed to be tuning us in on the internet, you will notice that Naz is wearing his Toronto Argonaut cap this morning. Naz, I'm a little bit shocked that you're wearing the double blue this morning. Where did the well, first my, of all, where did this cap come from? Because uh, I haven't seen it oh, before. I, I bought it down in the stadium last year. And yeah. uh, you're obviously getting ready for the Toronto Argonaut season. I am, I'm just trying to show my appreciation for the Argos, Wally. And uh, we and we've we've talked about Argonauts uh, uh, in, in the past, and we're hopeful that uh, the Crestman Pop era. Of uh, the Argos. Hopeful that they're going to have a successful season. We'll certainly get into that at some point in time. But a uh, couple of stories this morning. First of all, if you're up and about and driving around in downtown Toronto, the DVP and the Gardener are closed, and that made my. Uh, my trek down to the studios this morning, a little bit of an adventure. Um, there's a little bit of an obstacle course getting here this morning, but if you're out and about, there's a, an important cycling event this today, the uh, Ride for Heart, and uh, they've tied up the DVP and the Gardener for a really, really good cause. So uh, if you're downtown, keep an eye out and uh, find perhaps find a different route. And uh, NAS, NHL. Playoffs. What a Stanley weird, what Cup a weird series finals. This is. Weird so, series. You don't know who's going to win, really. The goaltending hasn't been there for uh, for Nashville first two games, and then last night they beat Pittsburgh five. It's certainly an incredible event down in Nashville. I want to come back to uh, to that. I just want to uh, let our listeners know who's uh, who's coming up on the show today. We'll be talking to Leo Routens, of course, a friend of the Nazanwali Sports Hour. Leo will be on with us around 9.15. We'll be talking about the NBA Finals. And in the middle of the hour, something really special uh, for the first time on the show. There's a, there's a unique event coming up in, uh, at the, uh, uh, at the uh, Bell uh, Lightbox downtown where the film festivals are held. It's called the Canadian Sports Film Festival. We'll be talking to the executive director, uh, Russell Field, uh, during, the, uh, during the hour about this unique event coming up next weekend in Toronto. Um, I've had a look at some of these films, and uh, I, won't, I won't steal his thunder, but should be really, really interesting. Uh, listen in on that one. And throughout the hour, if you're listening in, we'll be giving away tickets to some of the, uh, some of the feature films at this event. Uh, the festival's been kind enough to donate it so we can give them away to our listeners. So at various times during the show, we'll be giving, giving out those numbers. Feel free to call in and uh, score yourself a couple of tickets to, uh, to some of the films. NHL Stanley Cup Finals, Nashville. Uh, what an event. Um, certainly they've risen to the occasion. I know, Naz, you've made the comment that uh, 
Those tickets are pretty pricey down there. Yeah, they, they've uh, they've really gone crazy in Nashville over over hockey. Fifteen hundred dollars per ticket for the worst seat in the house in Nashville. Fifteen hundred U.S. That's like twenty five hundred Canadian. That's incredible. Well, they Incredible say they, amount of money. well, they they say they can't sell hockey in the, in yeah. the southern U.S. Uh, I'm not so sure that's entirely true. You give, you give, uh, you give a consumer of hockey a good product to watch, and and they'll buy it. And uh, I guess Bettman and the boys at, in New York must be thrilled to death that uh, that this market in Nashville. And we talked last week to the voice of the Nashville Predators, Pete Weber, and it uh, we we forget that. Um, Back in 2007, I think this was – was this the team – remember? Uh, Barzilli. Bal- yeah. Barzilli, the, the, the Blackberry guy. Uh, I was going to say the Blueberry guy. The Blackberry guy, Rim in Motion, um, Research in Motion. Uh, they were going to bring the Predators to Hamilton. And they, remember they had that huge drive. They had the website. They had sold pre-season tickets. They were already calling them the Hamilton Predators. And uh, – Ten years later, uh, they're doing pretty well, Dan. And let's talk about, aside from the fan aspect of it, the hockey aspect of it. Um, you know, the, the, the Preds are down two games to one. They very easily um, could be up two to one. You could almost make the argument. You could be up three nothing. Yeah, break, break that one down for us, Naz. Um, it's very hard to break down. I mean, the one thing is, Rennie did not play well in the first two games for... For Nashville and that, that's basically the bottom line. And um, Pittsburgh, you give Pittsburgh credit to go. They play a transition game that no team plays like. I was mentioning to you yesterday when we were talking, Wally, about the fact that the transition game of Penguins reminds me of the Russians. You remember the Russians, how they played? And they, they, we would attack, 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 and they come back and score a goal, and it would be like and it 15 you. shots, yeah. five goals for the Russians. And I think, how do they do that? Yeah. And they got an amazing transition game between Malkin and Kessel and Crosby. Tremendous. That that type of game works when you've got finishers. Yeah. Right. Um, and and it also deflates a team. I mean, in that um, was it the second game? I think it was the second game. Pittsburgh went thirty-seven minutes without a shot on net. Game one. Was it? Was that game one? Game one. Thirty-seven okay. minutes without 37 a shot. Thirty-seven minutes without a shot on net, and they come down. They score two goals, like and just snap your fingers and you score two. And that that's utterly deflating for a team. But give Nashville credit. I mean, and and their fans because uh, they could have been psychologically, um, you know, in a bit of a, in a bit of a hole, but they. Uh, you know, they, 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 the energy of that building last night, it was like watching, it was almost like watching a soccer game in the sense that, you know, you, ever, you watch these TFC games or you watch the Champion Leagues games and the fans are just standing, the, standing and singing the entire game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Nashville fans were, I mean, not that they were standing the entire game, but they created energy the entire game. And, uh, I mean, that just picked up, the Preds and just you know they, they just took the game away from Pittsburgh. I've been I've been on Broadway in Nashville and I can imagine forty thousand people. That's what they were out there for that concert prior to the game. Amazing, forty thousand people, and then you got another twenty in the in the rink. Incredible atmosphere it must have been yesterday. And and some incredible saving. I mean, Rini, um, um I thought the difference. I thought would turn the Penguins uh, series around in Ottawa against uh, uh, against Ottawa was when they, when they changed goalies. Uh, 
Um, quite frankly, if they didn't, if they hadn't made the switch to Murray, quite frankly, I, I think it would have been Ottawa and Nashville in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's just Murray, Murray has a way of of making saves at critical times that I've never thought Flurry. You know, Flurry's an accomplished goalie, but. Um, he, there's always something about Flurry that makes you nervous if you're a Penguins fan, and Murray Murray turned that series against Ottawa around, and 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 he's been playing exceptional uh, in this series, certainly in the first two games. And but if Rinny is able to play like he did last night, I mean that save he made. Um, I don't know if you saw the one where he slid across the net and Subban was right next to him. Yeah. Um, that may have been a game changer. That particular save. Um, certainly, if Nashville wins Game Four, this—not that the series isn't interesting as it is—but it could get very interesting from a Nashville perspective. Now, the last seven minutes of the game, six, seven minutes. I think the, the Nashville was up five-one at the time, and, the, and the, I don't understand Sullivan. Why is he throwing Kessel and? Malkin and Crosby, and there's cheap shots all over the place for the rest of the game. And it's Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel that are involved in it. Why are you putting them on the ice? I don't understand it. I don't get it. If someone can explain to me why you would do that, I don't get it. I don't get it either, Naz. You make a very valid point. Um, the game is, I mean, I think at that point in time, you're down to the, you know, down to five minutes left, and, and it's and it's 5-1 or and the game, the game's away from you. You certainly don't want you to put your stars out there uh, in 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 situations where, especially Crosby. You know, he's another. He's one. Uh, he's one other headshot, and I don't. I hate to use that term, but you know, he's another. You know how close he is to, you know, being removed from the series. Mm-hmm. And not that I would suggest anybody's going to do it on purpose, and I and I certainly hope they wouldn't. But accidents happen in hockey games, and you know you, you're out in in emotional situations the last three, four, five minutes of the game, and you've got a star, the number one hockey player in the world, with a history of of concussion problems, and he's coming off one in the uh, in an earlier series in these playoffs against Washington. Yeah, Nez. I don't know what he's doing out there. I really, I don't. Uh, you really think you're gonna? And you know, at, at at that point in time, Solomon, you really think you're gonna win that game? I I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense at all. Why they're putting these guys out there? Anyways, uh, we're gonna go to break shortly. Before we go to break, I've just uh, you know, Nez, which we chatted about it earlier. I'm a little bit deflated this morning because my my beloved uh, Juventus did not win the Champions League Cup yesterday. I was I was so looking forward to that game. Um, I really thought that they had the best team in the world. They played like the best team in the world for the last two, three, four months. They were the they were small favorites. I thought this was a renaissance for Italian soccer. Italian soccer has been in the dumps lately, but uh, they, we didn't get the result that uh, we would have liked. And as the commentators, I mean, I just love uh, love commentators and soccer speak, as they as they so call it. As they say, Real Madrid was ruthless in the second half. And, they sure uh, were. The Juventus didn't touch the ball in the second they half. Basically, I mean, the, the, Real, the Real midfield just completely and utterly took over the game, and uh, they got that Croatian guy in midfield, Modric, I believe his name is, and he was, I mean, he was just his game was at a totally different level yesterday, and uh, Juventus. I felt bad for Buffon, who's uh, who's uh, you know had an incredible career. Never never had the uh, 
uh, pleasure of lift uh, of, of lifting that trophy, and that's almost like you know you've played he, your entire career. He's had every career. other one. He's had every other one. Well, he's had he's had the World Cup. He's won the Serie A countless times. Uh, had never won the Euro and never won the Champions League. So uh, you know that's almost like winning the Stanley Cup for a lot of these guys. And uh, I felt bad for him more than anybody else. Uh, may have been his last. It may have been his last shot at it. And it doesn't seem like he ages though. Um, well, you know, he's, he's going to be a candidate for Zoomer Radio pretty yeah, soon pretty sure. <laughs> in about five or six years. Yeah. Anyways, you, Juventus, uh, thanks so much for a fantastic year. Uh, made me uh, made me passionate about soccer again for a few months. And uh, hope springs eternal, so hopefully next year uh, uh, they come back and they, they give it another go. But uh, congratulations to Real. Uh, it pains me to say this, Naz, and you know that. Uh, I've never been a big fan of Cristiano Ronaldo, not so much for his soccer abilities, uh, but for his for his antics on the field. But I have to give him, I have to swallow my pride and give him all the credit of the world. He certainly did prove yesterday that he is uh, one of the greats, uh, certainly one of the great players of this generation, and uh, I have to admit it, one of the greatest players of all time. He's, he's right up there for sure. Yeah, I will give him credit for that. His on-field skills are superior, and uh, it's unfortunately he can't tone down his antics at time, but uh, what does it matter? It's the results that matter, and he's uh, he's had results as, as, as well as probably any other soccer player in history. So congratulations to Real and to Cristiano. And uh, we'll be going to Leo Routens right after the break. It's the NBA Finals coming up. Uh, not coming up. We're at, it's Game 2 tonight. Uh, the Warriors uh, uh, had a little fun with the Cleveland Cavaliers the other night, and we'll talk to Leo Routens about that as soon as we're back from the break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just $13.99 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often, and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shh. There's an old saying... Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. 
Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour a good friend of the show, Raptors, Toronto Raptors analyst, Leo Routens. Good morning, Leo. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How about you? Uh, we're doing fantastic. Thanks for joining us once again. Of course, uh, uh, we're in the throes of the uh, NHL Stanley Cup Finals, but we're also in the throes of the uh, NBA Finals. And uh, first game the other night, it was a matchup that was incredibly anticipated. Of course, the Cavaliers and the Warriors, two of the most dominant teams in recent NBA history, and we thought we were in for an NBA Finals that would uh, rival some of the great finals of the past. And uh, certainly I'm not suggesting that we're still not in for that. But the result from the first game was uh, perhaps a little bit different than we would have anticipated. I think the Warriors seem to have handled the Cavaliers um, easier than some people would have expected in the first game. Uh, Leo, your uh, your analysis of the first game, and where do you see this series going? Well, there's no question. Golden State is a is a tremendous team uh, at both ends of the floor. Uh, they're a lot of fun to watch offensively. They do so many great things. They share the ball. They move the ball. But you know, the reality of that game one is Cleveland just played horrible. Yes, Golden State is good, but they're not that good. Cleveland just, in my opinion, uh, didn't show up. Uh, LeBron James did. Uh, but his teammates didn't. Um, their defense was atrocious. Uh, they didn't stop the ball. Um, they talked about taking away the threes, but you can take all three threes all the way all you want, but you have to stop the ball, and that means you know you don't you're not giving up. I mean, Kevin Durant had you know what five or six dunks uncontested, just wide open. Uh, you just can't play that way. And Cleveland just has to make the adjustment. They're a much better team. Uh, they didn't get performances out of a, a lot of their players that they need to play. I mean, Kevin Love went AWOL. Tristan Thompson was AWOL. J.R. Smith was AWOL. Kyrie Irving didn't play anywhere near to his capabilities. So, um, you know, I think the series is far from over. Uh, I'm giving Golden State their props. I think they're committed. I think they're talented. Uh, but, you know, I said going into the series, Cleveland can win. Uh, but they're going to just have to play a, a tremendous tremendous amount better than they did. It was uh, that was a, a terrible game one. Leo, uh, Kyrie Irving and and uh, LeBron against um, Durant and um, the guard there. Curry. Curry, yes. Stephon Curry. They match up better than uh, – I had to think they had, I think they had the edge there, but Irving is the key because Irving did not play well at all in game one. I mean, he no, was he awful. he didn't play well, and, and, and again – um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into these things. You know, uh, that's why it's a series. Uh, there was a long layoff for both teams, um, and, and they've had consecutive layoffs between series. Um, and that can affect rhythm in a lot of different ways. Um, so it's, it's, to me, it's not a like – people make such a big deal. I mean, it's, uh, you know, with social media and media today that, you know, one game, you know, one, one bad game for an individual or a team, and all of a sudden – it's the end of the world. The series is over. This is the, the other team's the greatest team in the in the history of the game. I, I think everything's got to be tempered. Everything's got to be a, a wait and see, uh, and you let a series play out. Uh, you know, these Cleveland has shown that 
they're a champion. Uh, Golden State has shown that they're a champion. There were a lot of factors that affected both of these teams uh, in their last two matchups. You know, two years ago when uh, you know Golden State won a championship, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were injured. Uh, last year when Cleveland won, uh, Steph Curry uh, was definitely not himself and not 100. percent you know, in in uh, in the final series. So now you have two teams, you know, hopefully uh, pretty much at full strength. And like I said, it's a feeling out process, and uh, everybody's got to kind of establish what they want to do, how they want to do it individually and as a team. And and uh, I, like I said, I think we're going to see uh, better play from uh, from the guys that struggled on Cleveland, and uh, and and better play as a team. Um, certainly, when we talk about it, you're absolutely right, Leo. I mean, uh, people people go crazy. The, you know, you lose one game. People forget Cleveland was down two games to zero last year, and they came back and they won the series. So uh, this this series may have just started, uh, and hopefully, it will it will turn out to be the uh, series that we hope it will be. And uh, certainly, uh, on on this particular show, we like to talk about. Uh, some uh, some great sporting events from the past, and we're looking forward to uh, this one being something people will talk about in years. And certainly, it recalls the great Lakers Celtics series and uh, and uh, some of the other great uh, playoff series of the past. And Lee, I want to go down memory lane a little bit with you while we have the opportunity. Uh, what uh, NBA Finals uh, series uh, sticks out in your mind as 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 the one you remember uh, as being the perhaps the greatest of all time? Well, I don't know about the the greatest of all time, but I, you know, I, I've enjoyed you know many many final series. I was a I was a big Michael Jordan fan. Uh, you know, just I I just couldn't get enough of watching him play, and you know, just seeing you know how he competed and the, and the things he did. And um, you know, I remember watching. I'm, I'm I'm real bad on going back on years and dates and things like that, but I remember watching. Uh, uh, one of the finals, I was actually in Chicago, and, and Michael Jordan created all the all the scenario for Steve Kerr to knock down a winning jump shot, and and then you have the vision of Michael Jordan, you know, uh, you know, beating Utah with the winning jump shot, you know, regardless of being sick or not sick. So those are memories to me because I was I was present at, at all of those, watching them in person, uh, and just seeing the greatness of Michael Jordan. Um, you know, to me. Uh, that that was amazing, um, and the other one that always stuck out in my mind was uh, when when Magic Johnson's rookie year uh, to be able to step in and and actually start the game at the center position uh, because Kareem Jawar couldn't play in the in the deciding game and and have a 42 point performance or whatever it was was just spectacular uh, to win the championship. So um, you know I, I think you know those are the ones that kind of jump out at me. Leo, as a player, what was the best series you were involved in? That I was ever involved yes. in? Yes, yes. Well, uh, I, I was only involved personally in one uh, in one NBA series, and it actually was uh, was a kind of a crappy one for me. Um, we when, when I signed with the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, part of my negotiation, I you know, Sixers just won the NBA championship, so uh, part of my negotiation, I just. Uh, I just assumed that the bonus money from being in the NBA Finals and potentially repeating is going to come my way. And uh, by the end of the season, uh, the first six, seven players on the Sixers are on our team where everybody was injured. And uh, we ended up playing the New Jersey Nets in the opening round. And it was an, it was an odd series. Uh, both teams won on the other team's court. Um, and it was a five-game series, so it was 2-2. And 
uh, and the next thing you know, the Sixers we lost at home in the, in the championship game in the deciding game. So we got knocked out in the first round. And uh, so to me, my uh, my one NBA series wasn't a memorable one because it cost me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking to Leo Routens. I since we're talking about the favorite NBA series of all time, I got to throw in my personal uh, my personal favorite. And uh, Leo, you're probably too young to remember this. So, uh, and Naz, I know you'll remember this. Yeah, see, it, it, I'm too old, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was I don't know. You probably heard the legend of this one, Leo, when Willis Reed Willis came Reed. what came in the New York Knicks. It was Game Seven against the L.A. Lakers, he came out. They didn't even know if he was going to play, and he came out on one leg, and he limped around most of the game, and the New York Knicks and that fabulous New York Knicks team ended up winning the NBA Finals that year. I, I, I can still remember Willis Reed coming out, and that Madison Square Garden was going absolutely nuts. And uh, oh, I remember that, and he made his first shot, and the place just went berserk. So, just went berserk. Uh, yeah, that that was a that was a great moment, no question. Uh, Leo, I'm gonna just one more question, and we'll let you go. Uh, and I want go go back to how the game, and and I want to ask this question from from a technician like you. And it seems the game is a different game than it was, and it's because of the three point line. Uh, and they keep talking about teams now having, if you want to win in the NBA. You have to have a three-point game, uh, and some teams and some some teams do, and some teams don't. And, and perhaps the difference in game one is perhaps Golden State's got a better three-point game than than the Cleveland Cavaliers do. It is what what is it what what does that mean to have a better three-point game? And is that a difference in the NBA nowadays? Well, see, the three-point shot has always been there, but the use of the three-point shot has changed. Uh, and the rules have changed dramatically uh, to favor the offensive uh, team, the offensive player. So, uh, you know, you have a lot analytics, which is, to me, probably the most uh, humorous part of the whole thing, is that you know, stats, we used to call it stats. <laughs> and stats have always been there, but now it's called analytics. And it's a lot of guys in suits and uh, that have never played the game. And now just using numbers. And if you use numbers, um, you know, even the media, uh, if you use numbers, you don't have to know a thing about what you're talking about, but numbers can put you in any conversation. And you can make numbers work any way you want. And that's what analytics has become in the game. And now the three-point shot, uh, they're encouraging everybody to shoot the three. Uh, Everything's geared around shooting the three. And you have bad shooters shooting the three. You have players coming down when they can take a layup shooting a three. You just have bad decision-making offensively because of the way analytics is saying that you need to shoot the three. And the reality is the league is also trendy. And Golden State is a small ball team that has great three-point shooters, and it works for them. But now everybody's saying, okay, they, you know, they want to change. They not want a championship doing it. And a lot of people would say, hey, it's not going to work. Uh, you know, Steve Nash at Phoenix, they played small ball and they played a perimeter game. Uh, and, and because they never won a championship, it never really caught on. Uh, but it's a different era, it's a different game because of the rules and so forth. And so now everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, but there's very few teams that have the ability to play like the Golden State Warriors. So you have a lot of teams trying to play that way, but they're not built or equipped to play that way. Uh, you still you you're, you're talking about having a premium on shooting, yet you're willing to you know risk drafting and and projecting on athletes versus shooters. So there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. 
But uh, in today's game, if you don't have shooters, uh, you're going to have a problem. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of teams just don't have enough shooters. That, that, that's one of the things that bit the Raptors this year. They didn't have enough shooters to space the floor and consistently knock down shots, uh, especially in the playoffs. So uh, that's the way the game is right now. That's the way the rules are pushing. That's the way the analytics are directing. And if you want to win, you're going to have to have shooters to compete with some of these teams. We've been talking to Leo Routens, uh, NBA and uh, Raptors analyst. Leo, once again, thank you, my friend, uh, for coming on on hey, a Sunday morning. Always a pleasure. And we always appreciate always your pleasure. We always appreciate your insights. Listen, have a fantastic day and a fantastic week. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. We re- we really appreciate. It. Thanks so much, Leo Routens. Uh, Naz, any parting shots on uh, NBA Finals? Uh. I don't want to talk about the Raptors. <laughs> Kyle Lowry is in a the Raptors are in a situation. They, do they sign him or don't they? Like, it's it. This is tough a tough one. It's a tough one, right? And a lot of it depends on whether he wants to come back or not. Yeah, that may be a bigger part of the equation. But they have to spend a lot of money to keep Kyle Lowry. Well, I, I'm hearing a rumor: Amir Johnson back to Toronto. Why? What's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of Anyways, to come back to Trump? <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. We've got to go to break. And before we go to break, I just want to announce our next guest will be Russell Field. Russell Field is the executive director of the Canadian Sports Film Festival. And uh, the film festival will be in Toronto the, this coming weekend, July 9th to July 11th. And he's been uh, – and the film festival has been kind enough to uh, allow our listeners to uh, – to call in and uh, we're going to give away five pairs of tickets to uh, some shows that are coming up this Saturday. Now, we've got two pairs of tickets to a show called Requiem for a Running Back and I've read the uh, prelims on that one. I'm, I'm hoping I can arrange my schedule to see that one because I really want to get down and see that one. Requiem for a running, uh, running Back, another feature film called Hillsboro and another feature film Ground We Run which is about rugby uh, in New Zealand and uh, the experiences of, uh, of a young man um, in the New Zealand rugby system. Some fascinating stuff. You want to give us a call? You can pick up some free tickets for the first, uh, first few callers who call in. Area code 416-360-0740. Toll free, one 740 Four zero. We've got some tickets to the Canadian Sports Film Festival. We'd love to give away. Once again, those numbers: four one six three six zero zero seven four zero one eight six six seven four zero four seven four zero. We'll be right back after the break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian. If you like a sausage, you can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer, and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language, no matter where you are from. Call Pizzaville at 736-3636 or visit pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. 
Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Wood. Bridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. And just before we went to break, we gave you the numbers. Call in. We still have some tickets available for the... Canadian Sports Film Festival coming up June 9th to the 11th at the uh, TIFF Bell Lightbox. Once again, those numbers. If you call in, first uh, first few numbers, first few listeners that call in will get a pair of tickets to the film festival. Our number is once again 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Still have a couple of pairs available. Please give us a call. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Russell Field. Russell is the executive director of the Canadian Sports Film Festival. It's the ninth annual. It's in Toronto, June 9th to the 11th at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. It's fr- this Friday to Sunday. There's going to be featuring 23 films over three days. And uh, I've looked into and read some of the bios on some of these films. It should be a fascinating, fascinating event. Russell, good morning and welcome to the Nazawali Sports Hour. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you, and it's a really interesting event. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Canadian Sports Film Festival. I know that you're the executive director. It's uh, Give us a little... Uh, a little highlight and a little summary of, of the film festival and uh, what's transpiring this coming weekend at the uh, TIFF Bell Lightbox. Sure, I'd be glad to. We're, uh, we're heading, as you say, for our ninth annual festival this, weekend, this coming weekend at TIFF Bell Lightbox. We, uh, we focus on films and try to bring films to, to Toronto audiences that highlight important issues but use sport as a way to talk about them. So they're not necessarily last night's Stanley Cup highlights. Film, not, they're not films about that in some way. We, uh, we like to say that we use uh, film as a way to provoke dialogue about social issues through sport. And, um, and we're bringing, as you say, 23 films to Toronto, 10 feature films and 13 short films next weekend. 22 of them have never screened in Toronto before, so we're really excited about that, including Canadian, North American, and world premieres. Uh, and it's a it's a great lineup. We're really really excited about it. And uh, one of the real key issues that we get to address this year, and we never know that coming in. We we invite films from around the world to submit. We go through a long selection process of, of watching a lot of film over the course of of the year. And and the program then just builds with the best films that we can bring bring to the city. 
And this year, one of the real highlights is the, and given issues that are talked about in, in Canada these days, one of the highlights is the focus on Indigenous culture that will be highlighted on opening night when we screen a film called Keepers of the Game that's about a Mohawk girls high school lacrosse team from upstate New York. And we've got some of the players uh, featured in that and, and some of the parents coming into the screening. And the following day, we've got a film called Salowit Run Club about a group of youth in, uh, in a uh, flying community in northern Quebec who have, through the aid of, uh, of a local teacher, a woman named Maggie McDonnell, who just won an international teaching award in Dubai about uh, two months ago, which your listeners may have heard of. It got a fair bit of attention. Maggie... Uh, teaches in Salowit and is has is one of the people who's formed a running club as a way of giving you something in that community to focus on and, and uh, direct their energy towards. And the film follows them training for the Hawaii Marathon. Maggie's coming into the festival. There's a whole group of eight people from Salowit in the north coming in. We're really excited. So that focus is, is unique this year. And the fact that I mentioned the people who are coming into the festival because that's what helps distinguish uh, festivals from from going to your regular movie plex, and that's what helps uh, us say that we like provoking dialogue. Is that audience members get to meet film directors, film stars, have conversations about the issues raised in the films. We're talking to Russell Field, the executive director of the Canadian Sports Film Festival, and uh, you want to check out the film festival online. It's www.sportfilmfestival.com. CA and uh, I want to talk about some of the other films before we do that Russ I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners uh, if they want to take part in this event how, how they can get tickets sure you can uh, well you've been kind enough to provide our URL <laughs> I will just say it's sport with no s on the end of it since that sometimes confuses people sportfilmfestival.ca uh, and there's a link right in the top right corner uh, to tickets there's also some pretty obvious links there to the program which will give you descriptions of all the films, trailers to all the films. Uh, tickets can be bought online, uh, uh, in person at TIFF Bell Lightbox at the box office there or on the phone, and all those details are on our website. And, and I've checked out uh, some of the summaries on, on some of the films, and, you know, Russell, you and I had a, had a brief chat about it, and uh, I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to this. I, I'll, I'll be quite frank with you, Russell, until, until you contacted us, I was, I was, I was unaware, and, and I apologize for that, uh, of this film festival. Uh, um, and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're showing sports in a different light, and in some ways we've talked about that on this show, that you're you're talking about the power and importance of sports in the everyday lives of people from all over the world, and not necessarily the Michael Jordans or the Tiger Woods. We're talking about sports at a grassroots level and how sports, and you've got some tremendous filmmakers, some you know Emmy-nominated and uh, some filmmakers who've won prestigious awards who are, who are uh, part of this festival. And the one, the one film that you and I talked about and it's and and I, and I want you to share this film. Uh, not that you know we we do, we don't want to take away from all the other spectacular films, but it's a topic that we've talked about on the Nazawali Sports Hour for years and years and years, and uh, well, not that many years, but uh, which is concussion in sports. And you tell and you and you tell that story in in a film called Let me just get it out. Requiem for a Running Back. And it and it and it deals with the issue of brain injuries and 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 head injuries in sports. Tell us uh, tell us tell our listeners a little bit about that film. 
sure it's an extremely powerful film, uh, not just because of the content, as you suggested, but also because of the way it's told. The film's uh, directed by a woman named Rebecca Carpenter, and the film is about her father, Lou or Louis Carpenter, who in the 1950s and early 60s played in the National Football League, played for the Detroit Lions, played for Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers, and then embarked upon a lengthy career as, a, as an assistant coach in the National Football League before passing, I want to say, about 10 years ago. It may have been less than that. And when he dies, the family uh, learns because he's uh, donated his brain to the ongoing study of, of, these, of, of head trauma and injury in sport. Um, he dedicates his brain, and his family finds out that he's been diagnosed with, that he's diagnosed with CTE, um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which I think I've mispronounced. No, I think you got it. You got a lot better than I do when I give it, when I well, try. Well, I, I just sort of run into it, and we'll see how it goes when I get to the end of it. Um, <laughs> And uh, the one of the powerful things, there's a couple of powerful things about this film. One of them at the very outset is the fact that Lou never had a concussion. So we associate this disease with repeated concussions, and, and here's a man who never had a concussion. So it, the filmmaker begins to explore the idea that maybe football, the sport itself, is organized and structured in such a way that it leads to these horrible kind of outcomes, so horrible that you can't actually die, that we don't have a diagnostic tool right now uh, that isn't post-mortem, that we, that we can't figure out how to treat people because we can't figure out whether they have it. That's one of the powerful elements of the story. The other is that Rebecca Carpenter had a, acknowledges that she had a difficult relationship as a young woman grow, with her father growing up, that they, that, they, that they fought a lot, and she uses, she revisits his life through the lens of CTE and tries to re-understand him and tries to recuperate and reimagine her relationship with her father. So it's it's a very powerful film, and for an issue that's often steeped in science, uh, in acronyms that you and I can't pronounce, and in some pretty important medical discoveries, this film is a way to get into that story uh, through a very personal uh, lens, which is sort of what makes it interesting, is that it's a very personal telling of the story. And I know you on the show have talked a lot about this, and I think this is a hugely significant issue. And in the Canadian context, and I made this, uh, I made this observation earlier in the week at a public event that we held with, with one of your other colleagues in the media, that I think we talk a lot about it in Canada and in the media. And I, don't, and I think in Canada the pro, this issue is too often dismissed as, a, as an American football issue that we can look at from a distance without necessarily uh, acknowledging that there is a pretty popular sport in this country where this is a pretty big issue, um, especially Sidney Crosby chases uh, another Stanley Cup. So there's a, there's a lawsuit on tap uh, in, among former NHL players. Researchers in this country are doing a lot of research in hockey, but I'm not sure out of the small number of people in shows like yours that there's a lot of discussion about concussion and and hockey as much as there would be in the United States around football. So I think we're going to have some important discussions around that film, and I'm really I'm looking forward to, to that. Russell, are these stories all uh, based on true stories? The films that we're screening? Yes. Uh, again, it all it depends. This, this year, we of the 23 films, 21 of them are documentaries, so yes, based on true stories. Uh, but that ratio changes from year to year. There's powerful ways to tell... Uh, stories that don't have to necessarily be grounded in truth. Uh, one of the other themes that runs through our program this year is uh, our mental health issues. 
and uh, our closing night film is a really amazing film. It's a do- it is a documentary film about a former uh, Olympic medalist and the man who, the first man to beat uh, Edward Moses over four, the 400 meter hurdles in in over a hundred races. A young man from Los Angeles named Danny Harris who won an Olympic bronze medal and and then beat Edward Moses and then had a life that got taken over by some of the inner city ills uh, and addictions of of uh, big cities. And then over decades recuperated himself, uh, and his story is quite powerful. He's going to be at the festival. We're really excited that Danny's going to be joining us. But the film that screens right before that um, is a fiction film uh, but uh, called Dryland, a really powerful film about a young woman uh, who is a swimmer dealing with her mother's suicide attempt. So there are ways to, to get at important issues using sport in a fiction way. And and we're t- we, we try to find those when we can. We're talking to Russell Field, the executive director of the Canadian Sports Film Festival, Sport Film Festival. Russell, I know we can't talk about 23 films, and they're all unique and all great films in their own way, and uh, we've got to get let you go shortly. Uh, but there's one one last film I want I wanted you to uh, touch on is uh, that I found particularly interesting in reading the uh, summary of it was a film called The Ground We Run which uh, the, the, the rugby uh, New Zealand story. Tell us a little bit about that film. Sure. The film's called The Ground We Won. Oh, we won. Sorry. I'm, yeah. I, I shouldn't be invited on your show and <laughs> correct you, but um, how uh, Please me. correct me. How horrible of me. Uh, no. It's a Thank beautiful, you. beautiful film. It just won a cinematography award at the New Zealand uh, Film Awards, uh, shot entirely in black and white, and, um, and about sort of the the beating heart of, of rugby internationally, New Zealand, and it focuses on a small community team. It's not, you talked about grassroots sport earlier. This is not, this is not the All Blacks competing in the Rugby World Cup. This is a small community team of, uh, of farmers who love to play rugby, don't win a whole lot of games, and it just follows them through uh, part of a season as they really determine to try to do better because, it ref- because of what it means for the community, and it shows them as young parents, it shows them uh, as teaching um, uh, children, uh, and I've sugarcoated it a, bit, a little bit because it shows uh, the rather um, colorful language that they incorporate into their everyday life, uh, and it just shows sort of the beating heart of rugby in a really, really beautiful and powerful way. And in many ways, um, it's it's a very story, very particular to New Zealand, but it is. Uh, I spend a lot of my time living in, in Winnipeg and seeing things in, in rural Manitoba. It's uh, very much a story that could be transposed into a rural Canadian setting, and you could turn hockey and you could turn rugby into hockey and and watch what a game at the grassroots level means to a group of, of people. Anyways, Russell, um, we want to thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks so much. It's it's uh, uh, sounds like it's going to be a it's the ninth annual Canadian Sport Film Festival. It's June 9th to the eleventh at the Bell Tiff Lightbox. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think some of the some of these films are, if not most of them, will be very very fascinating. They sound like they're well worth the trip downtown uh, that uh, that weekend. And if you need tickets. Uh, I'll let you uh, give the parting shot if uh, if our listeners want to uh, take part in this uh, in this exciting film festival. How do they do so, Russell? Sure, well, we'd love to have them come down. It's sportfilmfestival.ca, and the screening next weekend at Tiff Bell Lightbox, which is at King Street West and John Street in downtown Toronto. 
Anyways, Russell, we wish you all the best. It sounds like a fascinating event, and hopefully uh, Naz and I will be able to make it down next week, and I'd certainly love to love to catch up on a couple of these films. It We'd sounds love fascinating. We'd love to see you and everyone else there. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Russell. That, of course, was Russell Field, Executive Director of the Canadian Sport Film Festival. Uh, sounds like a fascinating event. Uh, we've been giving away tickets on the show. We've got a couple of pairs left still. Uh, give us a call. Uh, you get your uh, finger on your phone real quick, and you can scoop a couple of pairs of tickets for a couple of the shows. Our numbers once again, 416-360-0740, We're giving away tickets to the Canadian Sport Film Festival. Should be some fascinating uh, shows. Looking forward to it, Ness. Yeah, it's, the interesting one is the uh, is the concussion one because we've talked about it a lot. And, but you know, brain injuries are treated differently now, Wally. There's there's some changes going on, and the, uh, we're going through it in the family. Well, myself, and they they're telling us to make the brain work as therapy. Like you know, we were talking about the the Crosby concussion, how it came, it came back so soon, right? But they're training. To, to fight it that way, get back as active as you can, and uh, have the brain treated that way. Yeah, it's I, more I, more of a yeah. positive thing, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I understand that part of it, um, but I, I'm not so sure. Uh, essentially, you know, the more fit you are as an athlete, uh, of course, the better you are. But you know, a brain injury or concussion, what people forget is as far as I'm aware from a medical perspective uh, you have to wait a certain period of time because what, what effectively happens in a, in, a, in a concussion is the brain gets bruised it's a bruise I mean the brain is floats in a don't want to get into the medical jargon if I can avoid it but the you know your your brain is basically floating in fluid and when it gets uh, an incident it's basically the brain is th- thrust forward that's what happens in a car in, in, a, in a motor vehicle accident, and the brain hits the skull, and it gets bruised. Uh, and the only real, you know, you, know, you cannot, you, you have to rest that brain after it's been bruised. Um, and especially, you know, at, at the major league level, at the professional sports level, you know, they've got access to all these doctors now, and these mm-hmm. athletes presumably are well taken care of, and how Sidney Crosby was able to come back in that series so quickly is beyond me. Uh, but he has, and he's been effective, and he looks healthy. And uh, uh, But the thing about concussions is there's a cumulative effect. And, you know, the, the next one's more difficult to recover from the previous one. Um, but going back to the professional, I'm not so much worried about the professional athletes because they've got lots of money. They've got team doctors. They've got access to the best medical care. It's, it's, it's the... Um, it's it's the it's the minor athletes. It's the kids playing high school football. It's the kids playing um, uh, AAA hockey. Um, I remember going to a, to a sports doctor after my son had suffered a concussion and talked to him. He said he was seeing kids at the age of 15, 16 years old playing AAA hockey in Toronto that were already on their fourth and fifth concussions. And I'm listening to this from a very respected medical doctor, and I'm saying, this is insane. This is insane. Um, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. It, it's, it's an issue 
the two sports that are probably the most prominent are, of course, football and, of course, hockey. And, 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 and to me, it's a bigger issue at the minor sports level than at the major sports level. You know, the big boys, the Crosbys and the Troy Aikmans and those guys, they can take care of themselves. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the athletes from, like, like, we, like they played in the 50s and 60s, and you know this very well, Naz, we played high school football in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, what was the solution for us? when we, we used to, They used to call it, we got our bells rung. Okay, and you know, every time we start to get into the issue of concussions, I get animated, and you know, maybe we got to move on to a different topic. But how did we solve the issues back in the seventies? And as you know, you remember, they pulled out the smelling salts, whatever that was. It was pneumonia, whatever it was. You know, whiffed it under our nose. Yeah, get back out there and get get your bell rung again. Right? We didn't know any better. Nobody knew any better. And I'm not trying to be critical because we didn't know any. But nobody knew any better back in those days. But that was the cumulative effect of all of this. It's, the interesting uh, part is we, we interview a lot of legends here, especially hockey players, right? And how many of those guys, there's a lot of them still around. They survived and done very well. Yeah. The concussions weren't as prominent back in the 50s, 60s. They were in the 70s, but 50s yeah. and 60s. Nobody knew. They, they were, if you malingered. They a helmet. You didn't wear a helmet, and if you got your bell rung and you went to the bench and you didn't feel like going out, you were considered a malingerer. You say, you know what? What's wrong with you? You're weak. Get 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 back out there. You got your bell rung. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? It wasn't like breaking your leg or or or, or destroying your ankle. It was it was just your head. So what? Get 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 back out there. But that was, you know, that was the culture. I mean, it's, it's easy to be critical now, but you know, there's no point being critical. That's what people understood at the time. I'm not going to rewrite history, and I'm not going to ascribe blame to. To players and doctors from fifty years ago, I mean that's that's, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. That was the knowledge that was possessed. Um, and unfortunately, some of these retired athletes are now f- being forced to uh, to deal with the consequences of that. And the consequences are horrendous for some of these guys. I mean, you look at guys like Junior Seau. I mean, uh, didn't he commit suicide? I mean, yeah, the amount of guys that uh, either commit suicide or or suffer from CTE or, or long-term depression, um, especially amongst NFL players and NHL players, the numbers are staggering. Um, and you, you know, and for today's athletes, they know the risks, okay? And they're getting they're getting paid a lot of money to absorb those risks. Those athletes from 50, 60 years ago, they didn't know the risks, and they didn't get paid very well. And, and, you know, and it's horrendous. It's horrendous how the NFL and the NHL deal with some of these guys. You know, they don't, some of them, they don't even pay their medical expenses. Like some of these guys, some of these athletes, you know, they, 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 they go bankrupt. They can't, they, they become homeless. They're in the streets. They're, they rely upon the charity of others just to pay their medical bills. You know, meanwhile, NFL franchises are worth billions and billions of dollars, and you can't properly take care of, of your players. I mean, I know that they had that concussion settlement, but that's a spit in the bucket in terms yeah, they of— didn't get, They didn't get very much. And that well. money's paid over 30, 40 years, yeah. a couple of billion dollars. Whoopee-doo. Yeah, they didn't get very much on that. You know, and, 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 they, and then when they settled the case, they settled the case. The judge looked at the settlement and said, boys, go back. This isn't enough. And they had to go back and they had to throw another $300 million into the, in, into the, into the pile. Uh, I mean, we could talk about this at length, uh, um, and, it, and perhaps it's a topic uh, 
that we'll, we'll, you know, obviously we continue to discuss. We've been talking about it with uh, Steve, Steve Greigel, who we call every now and then. He's the attorney uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, that we talk to every now and then. He gives us an updated report on the NHL concussion litigation, uh, and that's that's ongoing. Uh, and uh, so certainly that's that's a discussion that will never go away. Naz, I'm, I'm just forgive me, for, and I'll turn it over to you to finish to last words. But uh, a listener called in this morning and reminded us. And uh, thank you very much. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't get your name, but thank you very much for reminding us and calling in earlier that uh, it would be remiss if we didn't wish uh, Bob McGill some luck in the current struggles that he's going through. Bob, uh, of course, Toronto Maple Leaf, and you can see him on the Leafs network, and uh, we've seen him around Naz quite a bit. Uh, we wish him all the best. He's had uh, a couple of strokes, and he's uh, hopefully he, he recovers, a full recovery, and we wish Bob McGill a full recovery. Naz, Absol- last words. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, here's a guy that was physically fit, fit as a fiddle. He's He was more fit now than he was when he played, and it can happen to anybody, so... Uh, Pull through, Bob. We, we need you back, okay? Anyways, on that note, from the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, from, from myself and from Naz, we wish all our listeners a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.